Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. That's me. Hello there. Yes. Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell. For Downtown, the podcast brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. This week, uh, well, we explore the music world with a couple of guests who have certainly paved their dues through the years, each with some three decades plus in the music business and have had some highs and have had some lows, but, but keep on doing what they do and continuing to make terrific music. In the second half of the podcast this week, West Hartford, Connecticut's own Grayson Hugh, who had a beautiful bit of blue-eyed soul when he first burst on the scene in the late 1980s. But we get things underway with a native of Zanesville, Ohio, who had great success on the country music chart as both a singer and a songwriter. One of the most respected backup singers in the business as well. And uh, she's got a brand new album that's a new take on an old album. Uh, her latest is a look back at songs from her 1999 album, Glimmer. It's called A Long Way Back, and we talked uh, about that and much more with Kim Ritchie. Hey, thanks for having me, Rich. I have uh, enjoyed your music, oh my gosh, since, well, since the very first album uh, back in the 90s, and I was so excited to hear this new take on, on the songs of Glimmer, which one of my favorite albums of all time. What made you want to go back and revisit them? Um kind of let the um, let the songs kind of have a little bit more room to breathe rather than with all the production and everything and it was also the anniversary so I thought that would be kind of a cool way to to commemorate the anniversary of that record were there people who got caught up in the production and, and missed out on the quality of the songs 20 years ago oh man yeah definitely <laughs> definitely especially especially here in Nashville um, yeah, the press, it, it was, it, it, uh, the press was all about the production and everything and, uh, and didn't, didn't really pay attention to the songs. And I think it's a pretty good batch of songs. So that was, that was a little disappointing, but it's funny that, uh, I think I have a, like a couple different groups of fans. There are the pe- people that are the bittersweet album kind of diehards. And then there are the glimmer people. And I think they kind of came on board when glimmer was out there. So you know, it, it definitely had its appeal to a lot of people. It just wasn't as country as the, the other first couple records. And you worked with Sting's producer, and, and I understand just that the situation was a little unusual. I think you recorded, was it in New York, and you didn't know a lot of the musicians? Yeah, no, I went from, the first time I, I first record, I didn't know a lot of the musicians. Some of the songwriters came in and played, but I already spent a lot of time with Richard Bennett. And the, the, yeah, the Glimmer record, I didn't know any of those guys. I got to know them. But at, at the, the first, for me anyway, it was just kind of a rocky start because I just didn't know, I, I just didn't really feel, you know, all that comfortable um, with with the way. Like, we took like two, two or three days just to get drum sound, you know, in New York. And I was just thinking, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is going to cost a bajillion dollars. And uh and so, but, but I got to be, you know, good friends with, with everybody afterwards. And, uh, Hugh was great. I, he, um, he, he, the one, one of my most favorite things about making a record with him was he was just so, he's just so up for anything, for trying anything, you know, any of the musicians or with me, like if I was sitting in the studio kind of humming apart, he said, why don't you go in and, uh, put that down in the vocal booth and, uh, and, you know, we'll either do something with that vocally or maybe it's a, 
uh, a melody for an instrument to, to have later. So he, he was really, really great to work with. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of my favorite parts of, of the Glimmer album were the backup vocals, which I thought were tremendous, and, and a lot of those were you. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dan. Uh, well, that's my, you know, that's my most favorite thing is, is singing harmony. That's that, that's my, that, you know, I'd rather, if I had my druthers, that's what I would do. I, I'd rather do that than be the lead singer. So obviously the production is different this time around, but, but I also wonder if, if 20 years of life experience changed your interpretation of the lyrics at all. Well, um, not change the interpretation. It was just kind of, it was nice for me to look back on the time when I'd written those songs and what was going on in my life and everything. I, I think the, you know, when you're, when you hear a song or something from, you know, from, from a while back, you can instantly, you know, it instantly transports you to that place and time and brings back all these memories. And uh, it's the same with write, you know, with songwriting. Like, I, you know, I went back to when I would would um, listen to the songs or be working on them. Everything it, it just brought up all these memories about uh, about the people I wrote the songs with and what was going on in my life during that time and everything. I don't know that I've gained any new insights or wisdom, you know, since then. But but uh, it was really fun to go back and, and uh, get to sing those songs again. We're talking with Kim Ritchie on Downtown. As much as I, I love the original, these new interpretations just really allow your voice to shine and, and let those lyrics take center stage. Oh, cool. Thank, thanks. I appreciate it. That's, uh, Doug Lancio was the producer, and he played pretty much everything on the record. What was the process like in, in recording it this time around? Well, we worked in uh, we worked in Doug's Doug's basement studio, and uh, so it was quite a bit different than New York and townhouse in London and stuff. So it was more more kind of laid back, and uh, it was funny because we weren't quite sure at first. We started out and we were thinking, you know, and I said, well, let's you know, thinking of it as a guitar and and vocal thing, just really super stripped down, like you would do at a songwriter night or something. And then I thought there's no reason for me to play guitar with Doug here. He's just <laughs> a fantastic guitar player. So then he started playing, you know, playing guitar. And we said, well, okay, you can play guitar and, and bass and other stuff. We said, but no drum because there's enough drums on the, on the old record for both of them. So we've got, so no drums. That was our rule. And then I came in one day and uh, Doug had a track up and I said, I said, is that drums? And he said, no, no drum machine. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So then I came in another time, and uh, I heard drums again. I was like, is that drums? And he goes, no. He goes, I'm playing it. I'm playing the drums. It doesn't count as drums. So so, so then it went from that to where we had uh, Aaron that lived across the uh, – he lived on the next door to Doug, and Aaron Smith, and he's just a really great, great drummer, like played on Papa Was Rolling Stone and stuff. And we got to, I got to be friends with him. You know, we talk over the fence and stuff when we were out taking breaks out in the yard, and uh, and and I came in then. Then towards the end, we had about three more tracks left, and and Aaron sitting in there, and and uh, Doug said, "What do you what do you think about Aaron putting some drums on these tracks?" And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, it, it would just be you know, it'd be criminal not to have have him play. He's such a great player and just a super sweetheart of a guy too." Well, a little banjo sneaks in there, and I love, I don't know if it's trumpet or flugelhorn that, that shows up on Long Way Back is so good on that. 
Oh, I'm I'm glad you like that. I love that. That might be my favorite track, and I love Dan Mitchell that played uh, flugelhorn. Um, I knew knew for sure that I wanted wanted him to have to come in and play on a couple things, and he plays uh, uh, keyboards as well on a few songs and sings. He says I met him. Of course, I met him when I did a a record. Um, which record was that? It was maybe Wreck Your Wheels, I think, possibly. And and uh, and I didn't really know him. And and uh, Nielsen suggested we have him come in and play flugelhorn. And it was just like it was so beautiful. It just kind of broke your heart in the best possible way. So I was really really happy to have him, you know, come and play on that. And my favorite song on the album, as it was twenty years ago, is "The Way It Never Was." And and you had me at the title. I wondered did the did the title come to you first, and then you wrote the song around it, or were you working on the song? And uh, here's the hook. Well, I have to say, I wrote that song with uh, with Tom Littlefield, my friend who I was just talking to a couple of minutes ago. Um, great songwriter, and he's the one that came up with that. So I uh, have to give him credit for that. And then he and I uh, worked on the song together. But yeah, that that's total. That's that's total Tom Littlefield the way <laughs> it never was. When you're collaborating and you've uh, written with so many people through the years, uh, do you usually do it in person or do you work on your parts separately? Oh, in person, mostly, you know, except for now. Now mm. I've tried writing on Zoom, which is just really weird because of the lag time and everything. But um, since Things have uh, kind of loosened up a little bit here. I have one of my friends who I write a lot with, Mondo Signs. Now he comes over and we sit far apart under my carport, and uh, and and have been working on songs. But it's I, I I love the I love the interaction, like the back and forth of writing writing with people. It it just it just makes you like you know somebody might say something and that'll make me think of something and that'll make them think of something and then that'll make me think of something. So it's just a the collaboration is just great. Hey, but speaking of, of your home, are people behaving themselves now in Nashville? Because uh, our friend uh, of the show, Roseanne Cash, had posted some pictures uh, a while back on social media of her daughter with people gathered at all the night spots. And I thought, oh, no, please. Yeah, no, you don't you, you, you don't want to get me going on that. <laughs> it's not it's not. No, it's 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 not it's not good. I don't think. Well, it's not good. A lot of places and how this how this became political, we were talking about it earlier in the show, it, it just amazes me that, that something that seems so basic and that other parts of the world have been doing as a practice for years has suddenly become a, a sign of who you're going to vote for. It makes no sense. No, no, it really doesn't. It's, and you can't, you can't, like when people disagree on something like this, it's almost trying to talk about religion. You know, it's yeah. like there's no, you, you know, if people say, if they don't believe in in the science or you know we just can't there's i don't know where you find common ground with that is what i'm trying to say because it it doesn't kill anybody to wear a mask and and you know if it if it helps people i've got a few friends that are um immune compromised and and i just think why why not you know if there's if it could help somebody or or you know save somebody's life what's the big deal yeah, I mean, even if it just makes them feel safer and shows them a little respect. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm <laughs> with you. How are you guys doing up there? We've actually been pretty lucky here. Uh, our numbers have been very, very good, although skewed a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, some folks had a wedding a couple of weeks ago up here and had a big reception inside with no masks, and that's led to, I think, close to 200 cases all over the oh, state. Oh, my now. word. Yeah. Wow. 
I think I think that's the danger. You know, people people are people are tired tired of being cooped up. But I mean, it's it's not that it, we just have to do it. You just have to kind of suck it up and and uh, take care of everybody. It's it's it, that's when we kind of get in trouble too. I think when people are are just they're just letting their guard down because it's not as bad as we thought maybe it was, like on surfaces and stuff right. like that. Got to be so frustrating for performers, though, just to not be able to to do what you do and and not really know when it's going to be safe again to be doing live performances. Yeah, it's 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 hard, but I mean, you know, I have a house to live in, and I have enough food, and and you know, I I'm I, I just feel pretty fortunate to be in the position that I'm in because I know a lot of people have it a lot harder, and uh, and I and I. The uncertainty is tough on people. I think that's kind of taken its toll on everybody, you know, let alone people who, who can't go to work now. I mean, I was hearing some stuff about the, you know, the airlines, the, the workers and stuff, and they were saying, well, we need to know if we're going to get laid off or not because it, it, it's time crunch. We need a plan B if we're not going back to work. And it's just the uncertainty is a big blanket kind of thrown over, over top of everybody. We're talking with Kim Ritchie. Her new album is A Long Way Back, The Songs of Glimmer. I told you in an email, we had uh, Radney Foster on recently. We had a great time talking with him. Of course, you wrote Nobody Wins with him, and, and you were out touring with him around this time last year. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, on the phone, like, I have these, like, little Google alerts for pictures, it, it, or or uh, I think, it's, it's, yeah, Google does it. It's, it's kind of like they pop up on your phone. It's like, here's what you're not doing anymore. It's kind of <laughs> like those memes. That mean thing is like you were doing this last year, wasn't that cool? Yeah, remember when you were having now. fun back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but so I had one pop up of uh, uh, a place where Radney and I were um, playing. But he he's a good pal. He's part of the reason why I came to Nashville in the first place because I was wasn't doing music. I was cooking. I was living up in Bellingham, Washington, and uh, Radney and Bill Lloyd. You know, they were in Foster and Lloyd, mm. and they were touring up there. And Bill Lloyd's a, a really close old friend. We were in a band in college together. And so uh, he and Radney were up there, and I, uh, you know, rode around with them a little bit on the bus and sold T-shirts one night for them. And, uh, and you know, Radney said, you know, you should, you know, Radney and Bill said, you should come to Nashville. And, and uh, so my boyfriend and I did on a lark pretty much. And so, you know, years later, I'm still here. But um, he also gave me a big break singing on his uh so much on his record on his uh solo debut album too. yeah del rio texas so was, yeah 1959 yeah. great album yeah really 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 good album it was so much fun to go out with rad and uh and get to sing harmony on all those songs because that's the way we did the tour we were just both up on stage together and played on each other's songs well and, and you mentioned it, you started late on it you didn't get your first recording contract until I, I think you were in your your mid 30s so for anybody who's who's not sure about pursuing their dreams there's no expiration date on that yeah i guess not i was i was pretty fortunate that i had somebody you know willing to to take a risk i mean uh mercury records signed me and they always i always say this but they always gave me more than enough rope to hang myself and they just <laughs> you know they were never they were never telling me what to record or how to look or, you know, what to do or what songs or, you know, who to work with. Not, nothing like that. What was the experience like uh, recording uh, Chinese Boxes in London with Giles Martin? Well, that was really fun because Giles is a really good friend. Uh, I met Giles uh, when he came here 
uh, way before we made that record, he was here to do some songwriting, and uh, and I got fixed up with him to uh, work on some songs, and we just became friends. He was here a couple different times, and then when I went over to London, uh, got to got to know him. So he he's become one of my best pals over there, him and his family. So it was really fun to work with Styles, and I got uh, some of my London crew to play on the record too so that was that was really great like the rest of the free world i'm a big fan of jason isbell and you worked uh, with him on one of his albums singing back up uh, how is his recording process well i went in there to sing on one song i remember i wasn't feeling very well i had some kind of it was all, I, the, the doctor i had to get a um oh steroid shot because i was about out of it i think i'd had walking pneumonia or something earlier before so i wasn't feeling my best and I went in there and uh was to sing on one song and it was just him and Dave were in there and I uh you know had been kind of practicing my the song and I went in there and sang it and they and then Dave said what else can we ever sing on and uh <laughs> so so then they played Stockholm and I'd never I'd never heard that song before you know until I until I got in the studio there and uh I said well I said what what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna sing right from the beginning all the way through and just try to figure some parts out and you, y'all just keep what you want, you know, keep what, keep what you want of it and, and whatever. So, so, and they ended up keeping most everything. Well, when you do that, when you go in to sing a backup, uh, is that, is it up to the producer or do you pretty much go in and, and find the harmony parts yourself and let them use what they want? Well, it's about, it, it most, most people are like, uh, I get to, you know, they, they want me to come in and do what I do. Like, um, I'm not really a huge fan of going in someplace and somebody telling me exactly what to sing. They might have a part in mind or something, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I have, I think I have a pretty good ear for harmony and some parts that are a little different than, than just kind of parallel harmony. So that's when I really like it is when they let me kind of do my thing. Do you like recording or playing live better? Well, I like them both, and I miss them both. So, I mean, it's a completely different thing. Uh, you know, there's there's immediate gratification in both instances, and it's just a it's they're just two really different things. And and I I love doing both of them. I understand uh, when I think I told you that Stephen King owns their station, and you told me you were a big Stephen King fan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I've 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 read pretty much everything that he's written. I think he's a really good writer. And the only thing I haven't written that I keep meaning to, that Gretchen Peters and I just keep forgetting to get it, is uh, his book on writing. Oh, which I want it, I want to read. It's great. Yeah. Actually, we were talking about that with Radney a couple of weeks ago, and he he used that as uh, some of the inspiration for writing his short story collection. Yeah, I need to do that. I just can't. I, I tell you what, my brain's just gone even more mushy during this thing than than normal. <laughs> but but um, I need to I need to do that. But we also listen. Uh, you know, w- when we were touring, we'd have uh, you know there'd be three or four of us in the in the car, or the van, or whatever, and so we'd listen to to uh, books. You know, audio books. Oh yeah. And um, and we listened to a lot of Stephen King. And, and it's funny because I remember one time we were, there were three of us and we were, I can't remember what book we were listening to. And, uh, we went in to get some breakfast and, uh, and the lady said, well, it's going to be a half an hour. And we all looked at each other and went, no problem. And went back and sat in the car and listened to the book. <laughs> so we were right at, at an exciting part, but you know, it's just, it's just really, it, it, it's, it's, 
his writing is so visual and uh it's just it's just really it was really fun for us to listen to those books as we're rolling down the you know, down the road. That's awesome. Uh, Kim, I have enjoyed your music for so long and the new album, uh, well, to me, it's, it's done uh, what I didn't think could be done. It made one of my favorite albums even better. It's called A Long Way Back, The Songs of Glimmer. It's great to finally talk to you and thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you very much, Rich. I sure appreciate you having me on and thanks for all the nice things you've said about the new record. Well, thank you. Be well, stay safe and hopefully we can talk again down the road. All right, you too. Thank you. That's Kim Ritchie with us here on Downtown, the podcast. When we return after this word from Cross Insurance, singer, songwriter, Grayson Hughes. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Singer-songwriter Grayson Hugh made his first mark on the music scene with that 1988 release, Talk It Over, went to the top 20 and continued to make terrific music. His songs used by director Ridley Scott, a pair of them, in the soundtrack for his motion picture, Thelma and Louise. Grayson's had his share of highs and lows through the years as well. He talked about all of those with us and the work on his upcoming new album, Save Your Love For Me. Hey, Rich. Nice to be with you today. Well, it's good to know we have a, a friend in common out there. Actually, uh, Don Neto, Don Morgan, does the, uh, uh, yes. the opening for our show every day. Ah, what do you know? It's a small world, <laughs> in the world of music especially. It sure is, definitely. Well, uh, let's talk about this new album you've been working on for a while. Uh, that, yep. that seems to pull together so many of your different musical loves. Talk a little bit, if you can, about Save Your Love for Me. Right. Uh, well, um, I, it, I wanted to, I've always liked uh, country and real old roots country. Uh, bluegrass, and, you know, I always used to call bluegrass mountain soul, because to me that's what it is. Mm. Great, great harmonies, the great syncopation, it's the that combination of, of black music with um, really what you call hillbilly, you know, mountain music. And um, that's what it is. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's never exactly that, but uh, I wanted to make 
a lot of my songs, I wanted to make a record that they'd find a home on that were not really what I'm sort of more known for, which is the soul. Um, so I said, well, I want to get some great musicians. And I thought about it and made some calls. And uh, I was I put together a band I'm very excited about. Um, I got uh, Bob Dylan's bass player, Tony Garnier, who I had never actually worked with before, but he knew some uh, mutual friends and uh, got him to play upright, mostly upright, a little uh, a little electric, but mostly upright bass. Got a guitar player named Pete Kennedy who of the Kennedys. Mm. He and his wife, Maura, have a great uh, duo that they do, and he's played with everybody from Mammy Lou Harris to Nancy Griffith to, jeez, uh, um, Frank Sinatra, you know, <laughs> but a lot of roots people. Uh, and then on Dobro, I got uh, I had worked with this woman before, uh, Cindy Cash Dollar, and she's just uh, a wonderful musician. She plays great uh, lap steel and Dobro, and uh, so she, um, you know, I, I she came down and did her parts, and then I got a fiddler. Gary Oliar, who's been with uh, Loggins and Messina for many years, and uh, just a, and I knew him before. So, and then my wife Polly Messer on harmony, vocals, and myself doing what I do, you know, mostly acoustic piano and you know some other little rootsy things. Um, and uh, you know we started recording it a year ago, and then of course this whole pandemic hit um, at the beginning. Well, it seems like the beginning was actually March. So we kind of got shut down, and we're in the middle of it. But uh, all the rhythm tracks are done, and I just am waiting to get back into the studio. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. I understand there's a, quite a story behind the title song for the album, too. Right. Uh, Save Your Love for Me is... Uh, uh, it's basically when I moved to uh, Manhattan, when I got signed to RCA way back in 1987, uh, I had it to be there. So I moved from uh, Connecticut to uh, New York, and uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who was living down in Georgia, a real country, you know, middle of nowhere. And, of course, I missed her, and she missed me, and uh, so I got to thinking about, uh, you know, I sort of went from there, you know, uh, and uh, imagine going down and, you know, it was not a midnight train that I took, to, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded good for the lyrics, uh, but that's what it is, basically, you know, like a lot of my songs, it's written from my own experience. One of the things you're doing, too, to uh, help finance the brand new album is that you put together some great packages of uh, a DVD packages of some of your videos. Right. That's right, Rich. I got uh, actually a fan. I have the greatest fans. And one guy suggested, why don't I sell some of my videos? So I'm, I actually know a little bit about editing. And I, not that I'm editing the official videos, but uh, I got together some of my own uh, videos from, you know, the hits that I've had. And then I also had uh, a couple of early bands, one of which w was with my wife when we were just friends way back in 1982, Grayson, you were the Wild Zones. Uh, Connecticut Public uh, Television had a series not unlike uh, uh, the Austin, Texas 
Austin City Limits. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I have two, you know, shows that I did with that, and I, I banned even a year earlier. So, and I and some other packages, um, and that's, you know, kept the sort of, you know, uh, steady income going that uh, during this time that, uh, you know, I've been able to, you know, just helps to live on and also to uh, continue to finance the finishing of the record. So, uh, yeah. Gotta do, you have to be think outside the box sometimes. <laughs> no question about that. Make a living when you're a when you're an artist when you're a musician. We're talking with Grace and Hugh here on Downtown. Let's go back a little bit. And you mentioned your love of of country and, and, and bluegrass, but you grew up in the country hotbed of West Hartford, Connecticut, and That's your right. and right. your the dad of the suburbs. Right? Uh, well, I'm a, I was born in Hartford myself, and you're uh, oh, what do you know? And your okay. dad was a classical music radio host, right? Yes, he was. He got the radio bug. He was from uh, Britain, moved over when he was a teenager, and uh, right before World War II, he joined the Merchant Marine at the end of the war. Um, and uh, as he said, he wa- didn't want to kill anybody, but he wanted to do his bit, you know? So he uh, became a Sparks, a radio operator, and he always said that's when he caught the radio bug. <laughs> so he, ever since then, he was a radio, a classical music radio DJ, and he would bring home rock and roll 45s that people would send him. And, you know, he couldn't play it on his show. And that's how, really, I, me and my brothers got introduced to some great music, early Elvis, you know, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers. And uh, so, yeah, that that was a, a real interesting uh, a benefit, of a side benefit of his job that I benefited and you learned you learned to play pretty young, and, and it sounds like you were you're getting a lot of your musical influences too by playing for all kinds right. of different people in a lot of different settings. Right. I mean, I took classical piano, I studied jazz piano, I studied alto saxophone, and I, uh, you know, really came from a classical background, I, I, which has benefited me. I'm able to arrange and. Uh, and a lot of times rock musicians don't necessarily um, really read music all that well. Some do. Some are really well-versed. But um, it's also been a way for me to do other things like compose for uh, some modern dance companies. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, teaching songwriting at Berkeley in Boston, uh, some dance companies hooked up with me, commissioned me to write some scores for them. I've always enjoyed doing that, and um, also uh, did some television and a film, you know, scoring. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's good to be a little versatile like that. Absolutely. So you moved to New York City in the 80s. How did you get together with Michael Baker? That's, uh, that is the elevator story. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I tell this, people just can't believe it. You're making that up, but it really is true. Um, when I got signed, or before I got signed, I knew I wanted a record deal. It was like 1986, and I was, you know, playing in my my bands in Connecticut and Hartford area, and I just was bored with, you know, I, I, I really wanted a record deal. And I was pretty sure that I could get it. But I had to go to, the, where am I going to go? I thought of L.A. Uh, or, or Nashville, but I'm not really country. At that time, I definitely was not. Um London, well, you know, that's kind of far away. So I just chose New York, the next big uh, city. 
Um, so that's what I did. And I just, uh, you know, was pounding on doors the old fashioned way. One day, uh, the woman, actually, she was an ex-girlfriend. She was living in New York, and she had agreed to be my manager. Really, I didn't know anyone except her in New York City. So I had just left her apartment, was coming down on the elevator, and Michael Baker, this guy, was who I didn't know, was going up to visit his girlfriend who lived in the same building. And we were in the elevator for a couple floors going, you know, talking he saw that i was carrying a, a synthesizer and he said oh you're a musician and i said yeah he goes well, i'm a producer and uh i said well, who you who you produced and he said well the blow monkeys i'm just finishing up their record and i just seen the thing on mtv about them a bunch of, of white kids in in uh, you know the south of london that love soul music and i said oh yeah and so i invited him up to hear some music i played him my tapes and he did not believe that was me. <laughs> and then he said, prove it by performing live. Uh, my my uh, manager had a, a piano. So I did. And then he's pointing, pointing to his forearm. And I go, what, 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 do you, what does that mean? And he said he was showing his goosebumps. <laughs> and the story goes is that he told his girlfriend, I just discovered the next Buddy Holly. This is what he said. He told her. So I was, you know, he said, you don't have a record deal. I can get you one if you sign with me, a production deal. And true to his word, he um, hired me to sing uh, backup vocals with the Blow Monkeys on the album. She was just a grocer's daughter. And uh, from there, uh, we demoed some songs and RCA signed me. So well, that's I, I, Michael Baker elevator story. I was a, a radio program director at the time, and uh, yeah, every Tuesday was record day, new record day, new releases. Right. And you, you'd open up, and <laughs> you give a little yep. listen, and I remember popping on the turntable a song called Talk It Over, and I, I just, it, it blew me away. I, first I said, my God, Sam Cooke has come back from the ah. dead, but it sounded oh, like absolutely, <laughs> but it sounded like nothing. That was on the radio. It was so right. unique, so original, so soulful, and just so beautifully arranged, and with an incredible vocal performance. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I've always been a, uh, I guess, an imitator, and I, I grew up listening to a lot of different uh, soul musicians besides the, the classical music, like Ray Charles, first album I ever bought, and uh, the singers, um, and I was just go around the you know i would i would sing like that and i just loved it and then of course the beatles came along and you know you know the, the motown and the, the soul singers like wilson pickett and you know joe tex yeah, but all along there was the country thing that i loved too like you know conway twitty and you know hank williams senior you know so Music is music. It's just good music is good music. Well, it's funny you mention that because the, the, the album I remember listening to the most as a little kid before anybody told me what his genre was, was Ray yeah. Charles' Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music. Oh, what a great album. Yes, yes, yes. What a great record. Well, uh, the album Blind to Reason uh, produced uh, three different hits for you. Uh, from my money, I, I and I love Blind to Reason, but I loved Road to Freedom even more. Uh, Billboard oh, thank you. had it as one of their top albums of the year. But as so often happens, uh, record company politics get in the way yeah. and, and yes. kept you from having what, what should have been a heck of a lot more hits from that album. Yes, yeah, they, they were clueless, I have to say. They just dropped the ball. 
And what happened is the guy that had signed, it was going to, my second record was going to be on RCA. Started recording it. I chose a guy named Bernard Edwards to produce it. The one of the founding members of Sheet, right. uh, along with Nile Rogers, because I liked his approach of soul and rock. Yeah, and uh, I started rehearsing, started recording. RCA was thrilled, but they did this thing called musical presidents. They started doing that, and. I went from one guy jumping up and down, actually physically in the studio, <laughs> saying, I love this is the best thing. I love this. And they, they invited a Rolling Stone guy over to interview me, a guy named David Wilde. And, uh, you know, it was about to take off, really, with a lot of support in RCA. Suddenly they changed presidents. And that's the politics, you know. It, then I, the people say, I don't hear the single, you know, that, <laughs> that old, you know, nonsense. So I had to go and go do some more writing, and I, I just they were just dragging their heels. So my uh, managers at the time said, "Look, we're going to find a, a, a label that appreciates you more." So that's how I wound up on MCA, and they turned out to be a lot worse. I should have just <laughs> stayed with RCA, but you know, you just don't know. You, yeah, but but the good news was uh, the album did get the attention of director Ridley Scott. I don't really believe that much in luck, Rich. I think there's the, a power out there that is at work. You know, Pete, it works through people and uh, call it what you will. But, um, yeah, he. I heard one day that my managers, these two English guys, one of them called me and said, Ridley Scott is flying around the world saying he discovered Grace and You. And <laughs> um, he was wanted to use like four songs in in the movie off of uh, road to freedom so we couldn't do that because then the people could just not they wouldn't have to buy the album they could right. just get the soundtrack so we gave them two and you know it was a really great uh, break for me to be uh, featured in, in that film and then the next couple months after that um uh the director of fried green tomatoes asked me to record a Bob Dylan song called I'll Remember You. So then for that, I went back to um, my gospel piano playing days in a little a little black church in Hartford. And uh, when I, a couple of years when I was in my teens, and I arranged it like that and got some great music. Actually, it was Eric Clapton's band, everybody except Clapton, um, that were, that recorded that. And then some great uh, gospel singers, and that's that was another great opportunity. And again, just being at the right place at the right time, that power that is working, the, linking creative people up together. That sometimes it really works well. So I was very fortunate to uh, to get that. Are you relocated? Great. I like both of those movies. Real, you know, tearjerker, Fred, Green Tomatoes. You relocated to North Carolina for a while. And then, as you mentioned, uh, back to New England, uh, you taught at Berkeley for a while. Did you ever uh, uh, run into a friend of our show, Livingston Taylor, when you were at Berkeley? No, he was actually after my okay. tenure there. He, he should, and you don't really, a lot of times, see each other. The, the, the faculty people, everyone's doing their own thing. I did uh, work with uh, a couple of people, uh, the drummer Kenwood Denard, 
who has played with everybody from Dizzy Gillespie to uh, James Brown. I mean, he's just phenomenal. And uh, uh, some other people, um, Tom Stein, you know, uh, but, you know, that's uh, that was a kind of a hard time for me because my mom had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2000. And, you know, I, I had always had a problem with drinking, but I had stopped drinking uh, in 1980. And 20 years I hadn't had a drop. And I, I knew I was an alcoholic because my uncles were a lot of them, not my father, not my parents. But uh, I think the stress of, of, of knowing I was going to lose our mother, um, you know, it's just that's a death sentence, uh, unfortunately. And just being lonely and just, you know, I didn't really know how to not, you know, succumb to the temptation. And I just escaped into the bottle. And I was able to teach somehow for, you know, another year and a half. Uh, but eventually it caught up with me and I, they, you know, I, it becomes obvious though you're thinking you're fooling people. And uh, I was fired, which was, of course, the appropriate uh, thing to happen. And, um, you know, my life started to get smaller and smaller. I ended up in a little, a room above a bar in Cape Cod, um, you know, that's really, you know, what it was. And uh, I ended up having a uh, seizure, alcoholic seizure, and a blackout. And uh, I was in bad shape, wound up in the hospital. And from there, uh, a bed opened up in a sober house. And I, for three years, I rebuilt my life from at the age of 54, you know, in uh, 2004. And uh, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because that gift of desperation forced me to to uh, take care of that that problem. And, and you and you did problem. that, and then and then got back to music, made your first yes. album, which I think was uh, an American record, what first album in almost fifteen years. That's right, exactly. One of the uh, a counselor that was you visit with sometimes he was a fan he said look i'm going to break your anonymity i know who you are <laughs> and in fact i want you to sign these two you know cds but he was a great guy dean gilmore wonderful man uh we started being friends and he would we trade books and uh he got his agency to get some seed money to get me you know, back to to doing what I do best, which is to make music and uh, record a record, more specifically. So it took five years to release it, but um, that's what happened, you know. And I owe so much to him. He's, he passed away, unfortunately. I, As a result of making that, I met, I got married. I mean, I met, uh, I re-met my good old friend, Polly Messer, who we had always been, she was married to a good friend of mine actually, and we were all friends, and she uh, found out, she didn't know where I was, but sent a, a letter to me through, um, through my brother, and uh, we started talking, and I had done rhythm tracks at a studio in, in Concord, and started doing overdubs, still living at the at the sober house in, in Cape Cod, actually Wareham, Massachusetts, going, taking the bus down to Hartford, doing overdubs at my guitar player's house. She started doing, uh, I said, I don't have any money. I have just enough to pay these musicians. She said, I'll sing for free. <laughs> so, wow, how can I refuse that? And I kept writing her into more and more songs because 
I was falling in love with her. And plus, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal singer. Um, so that, after about I really three months, I asked her to marry me. And amazingly, she said yes. I still can't <laughs> believe it. A lot of good things happen as a result of being of being sober. The new album is called Save Your Love for Me. Uh, you can get more information. Go to Grayson's website at graysonhugh.net. Uh, it's so good to talk with Grayson. I've been a fan of your music for, for 30 plus years now. You have one of the most unique voices in, in all of music. We wish you much success with the new album and I uh, hope you'll come back and visit with us once it's released. I'd love to. It'd be nice to do it in person. Absolutely. Back I w- up there to, to Bangor. Live music again will be a good thing for all of us. No question about yes, that. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Grayson. Hey, Appreciate up. it. As they say, hey, up. <laughs> Thank you, Grayson. Thank you, Rich. That's Grayson Hugh, our conversation with singer-songwriters this week on the podcast. Thanks to Grayson, and thanks to Kim Ritchie as well. And thanks to you for listening this week and joining us for what we do, brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. For Carrie Haskell, this is Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time on Downtown the Podcast.